much louder can I make it? Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here, and we have a special episode for you. As I was just saying, this is a long time coming. We have the first lady of precision rifle competition, Regina Milkovich, on the line with us to answer all your questions. Come on on, Regina. How you doing? Well, I'm good. I'm kicking back at home on a, what's it, Tuesday? Doing absolutely nothing, so... <laughs> Playing catch with the dog, he said. Yes, yeah, with my um, insane two-year-old quasi-puppy. So Mine was needy today, too. He kept bugging me to go. Like, there's tons of snow, and he wants to go play football in the snow. But when it hits the snow and doesn't move, he hates it. <laughs> so uh, ours, is a, ours is a little Boston Terrier, and she's a, she's got tons and tons and tons of energy. More than we're used to. We've had two senior dogs for a long time. So um, so she's keeping us both going, Tim and I both. Nice, nice. So uh, to jump right into it and not waste a whole lot of time, uh, we kind of go back to the Rifles Only days. Um, you guys were kind of working in the area, Arizona, coming up. And I remember doing quite a bit with uh, uh, Tim's brother, Scott. And um, mm -hmm. then it all kind of came over, like you guys were doing your thing on one side and then came over to the Rifles Only side and started to, you know, I guess to take some things back to your clubs in Arizona. And then you started kind of training pretty hardcore rifles only. So why don't you go into a little background and history so everybody can, who doesn't quite know who you are, which they all should, but for those who don't, you can give them a little bit of background. Well, I started shooting in 2009. The first two-day match I ever went to, I actually got roped into spotting and that was my brother-in-law Scott's match the TPRC um I was amazed at how far people were shooting it's like 400 yards or something so I said I want to do that and the first time I went to the range was like eight nine months after that was the 223 had four hours learning um basic safety stuff malfunction drills and then my husband told me I was shooting a match the next day so I've been competing pretty much the whole time um, my first match was NorCal in 2010 and I came in 58th out of 59 shooters. So it's possible to work your way up. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, <laughs> so that's really how I started. Um, I bugged the new fam, like, uh, he probably thought it was crazy. I used to ask him so many questions cause he shoots left-handed and I'm left-handed and, I was, I think, one of the only ones in my club at the time. We only had about 10 or 15 people that used to shoot in our club. Now we've got club matches that have 80 people showing up. Which so, is awesome. Um, yeah, I, I really love the growth of it. Um, the first match I shot at Rifles only was in 2011, and I was terrified of Jacob and of Lindy. <laughs> Lindy, I can see. Jacob's Jacob's pretty fun, although his safety brief is can be harsh. But Lindy kind of oh. can be scary because he has that Mr. Spock thing going on. <laughs> I wanted to impress him so bad. And I was on a squad with um, all the Morrises. And I, I, we had to have somebody else on the squad, too, that was a big name because they all seemed to go together, all the surgeon guys at the time. Yep, yep. And um, Lindy complimented me on a kneeling stage. I think I went four out of five or something. And that I felt like a win for the whole weekend that I'd impressed Lindy with something. 
that I practiced really hard on. But I was terrified of Jacob. And that safety brief, when he calls out somebody with the, asking for one of the rules, just pick a random rule and make a newbie um, say what it was, I was hiding behind three people because I'd heard he would ask. And I was terrified I was going to get picked on. Yeah. But, and, and since have you been, you've gone to training down there, haven't you? Because 2011 was my last year down there um, as far as working or anything like that. So uh, did you go to any of his classes? And I, I know you mentioned, I saw on Facebook today, you were going to do the train up prior to the, this new one coming up. Um, did you I take am, any yeah. of his classes? I did. I, in 2013, I did a PR one and two and I brought a 308 and ended up with a blister on my um, left collarbone, so much so that I asked if I could just shoot support side. Jacob thought it was a great idea, made the whole class shoot support side, so everybody in the class hated me. <laughs> I think we're shooting movers, but like, just make my shoulder not hurt. I had a huge blister. I think I have a scar there now from that, but um, yeah, that was the first time I had any formal training and realized that I was really lucky because I was doing a whole bunch of stuff wrong. It took me another two years to fully fix all of the fundamental issues that I had from shooting poorly before that. Well, what do you, th- like, I, I know, you know, because of the program that's down there, where it was so fundamentals heavy, but because it was, you know, it, it was a facility and, and purpose built for uh, precision rifle, that, what was your takeaways when, like, because, you know, most people practice prone and, and, you know, they might go into some positional a little bit here or there, but what was some of your biggest takeaways from sort of Jacob's PR 1 and 2, which is a six-day class? So it, it, it's pretty in-depth to be out there for six days straight doing nothing but shooting. I, I mean, people don't realize it, just, you know, how punishing, like you were saying with the blister, it can be on your body. I mean, for just doing it mm-hmm. all day, every day. I, I learned that I have an inherent ability to shoot movers well. Um, after I figured out what my lead was. So that was eye-opening for me that each mover didn't have a different lead, that it was the same lead for me no matter what the distance was. I always start with the same lead now, but now that I know that, um, I used to be the little green army man behind my gun, and I don't do that anymore. Nice. Um, And breathing. I apparently used to really like to hold my breath a lot. So I do a lot of the same things that Jacob taught us. The close your eyes, do two breathing cycles, um, trying to shoot a group or whatever, zero in a gun. Um, I dry fire way more than than most of the people I know. Um, and that not just for before I, like when I'm at the range, because I dry fire at the house too. Um, Lisa came here a couple years ago and they saw the little, I've got the same kind of things during the cottage at Rifles Only little stickers all over the walls for using the dry fire. Nice. <laughs> nice. Like, I what that's for. But, um, that was the main thing that anybody could shoot prone. Um, the wind call stuff in 10 years on, I'm still struggling with wind calls, but the body mechanics that I left with a lot of good ideas on how to dry fire and how to, how to dry fire effectively. So that when I went to live fire, it would work. Nice. Yeah, breathing is my, that's my Achilles heel myself because I was such a hold my breath guy growing up and coming through. And and so that's my hardest thing to, to kind of keep an eye on is is to make sure I'm continuing to breathe. And, and honestly, in the breathing side of it, Lindy was the master 
at sort of how to manipulate the rifle and the bolt on a single like breathing cycle. You know, he was able to run the bolt on an inhale and then, you know, bring it back on an exhale. And he practiced to sort of have that, you know, it almost be automatic for him where his breath was moving in the same motions as his bolt manipulation. Ooh, if he's at the train upset, I'm going to have him show me that. <laughs> yeah, he was, I mean, Lindy was definitely awesome. At the time, did you guys use the grid on the floor to help with your body position? Because I know Jacob had a, a grid drawn on the floor to help people kind of analyze their body position. Because one of the things that he talks about, and when we did the podcast last year with him, was that, you know, you know, we talk about getting straight behind the rifle and how everybody, you know, thinks they're, lined up really well, but they still might have some issues. But instead of it, the rifle being sort of like six o'clock, hey, maybe you need seven o'clock or maybe you're a five o'clock, but just to be slightly off one side or another and you mm-hmm. being left-handed, you know, it's it's the biggest struggle struggle to get lefties, you know, straight. I, I think that that's actually one of the areas that I'm, pretty solid at um getting behind my at, at dry fighter so much now i can tell if my if my hip is out of whack and it's usually my left hip that feels like it's out of place and i'll try firing up yeah, yeah that just told me right there that it's out of whack so i have to make a minor tweak or whatever but i'm i'm pretty straight behind mine i walk around and watch people like at the club matches and stuff especially we got kids and people that need help new shooters um i'm pretty constantly like pulling them aside and having them get behind the gun and then move their hips around and say a lot of the same stuff that Jacob has said to me that now is on like constant repeat in my head. Think about how your gun doesn't really care if you're comfortable only yeah. with expletives. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and like, but, since we're, we're on it being that lefty, did, did you start out with a righty rifle or anything? Cause I mean, let's face it, you're, you're kind of in the minority. You don't get catered to in any way by manufacturers. And so was there a period of adapting when you're left-handed or, or did you find because you didn't have bad habits cause you just started shooting this discipline? I mean, that's the thing and, and not to sound, you know, sexist or anything, but women have less bad habits because they don't have the egos. They didn't grow up thinking they were army men to begin with. And, you know, but it's it's one of these cases where um, there is a learning curve for lefties. I um, I had my first rifle was a left-handed rifle. So I lucked out there. Um, but the first, that when I shot NorCal, part of the reason I was 58th, I was 59th. I strongly believe is because I shot a right-handed rifle. I didn't have a, a centerfire one that was a large enough caliber to shoot. They didn't let two two three shoot back then, so um, so I shot a three oh eight. And you shot that range before, so uh, you'll understand this. I borrowed Tim's twenty inch three oh eight and shot one sixty eight there. <laughs> nice. So, so I did not do well. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> did, did he even let you shoot a thousand <laughs> yards? Yeah, yeah, and they were they started keyholing at eight hundred, right? Um, so they, yeah, it was it, that was because that was a big pet peeve much. for Jacob. Was people with sort of and and it's you know it sounds people are going to go out there that think you know all oh, the three hundred eight the thousand yards and then there's that those memes where the the one sixty eight three hundred eight hits the wall <laughs> at eight hundred and hits the ground, but mm-hmm. on that range that happens. Yeah. 
yeah, that one it does. Um, I haven't seen that at any other range, but I've also don't shoot that sort of barrel anymore. Um, NorCal is the only one that I that I've experienced that, and then I found out later on. Well, yeah, nobody shoots one sixty eight out there. Yeah, they do exactly that. Yep. But the big thing that I heard when I started out was that I needed a right-handed rifle, that it would somehow make me better because I could cycle the bolt with my offhand and keep my finger on the trigger. So my most common and most often repeated response is, so you have a left-handed rifle then, right? Yeah. And of course they don't. They have a right-handed rifle. I'm like, well, then I don't see how there's any, any added benefit to shooting a backwards rifle for, for your eye dominance or your hand dominance. And I'm left-handed all the way down. Left eye, left hand. Um, I've left, been left-handed my whole life. So I like to say the only thing right about me are my politics. Pretty much everything else is lefty. So, and that was a um, mindset for speed down there. Um, in the early, early days of rifles only when I went down there, like 2003, you know, that kind of time frame, Jacob Godforson brought one of those sort of bench resty rifles that had the port on one side, the bolt on the other. And, you know, mm-hmm. with the, the six at 600 yard uh plates that were there and everybody used to race them and shoot them as fast as they could um that guys would get on Godforson's rifle and we would have little races with each other and this was when the crowds were really small we were lucky to be drawing 50 people you know and um we would race with Godforson's rifle and being opposite handed that way you were able to speed through it but then you you would get screwed on positional which is now 90% of everything we're doing. But when it was that prone speed drill, it, it was pretty well known that if you wanted to kind of top that score, you, you wanted your, your, um, your bolt on the opposite side. That's, that's about the only time I could do that being a, a benefit at all. And even now the prone stuff that we have is that nobody does speed drills like that really anymore. So, um, I mean, well, my club does, but we're insane. Um, I, I don't see it at any other range, really, where they do 20-second, five-dot drills at 500 yards or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I suppose I could see the benefit, but um, I don't shoot bad support side, but I don't want to run a right-handed rifle ever either. Right, right. I don't, I'm not, it's, it doesn't kind of work for me either because I'm used to it. I mean, I can get away with it, but I, I do think it, it, it has that, Back then, it was kind of like if you were going to create an ND for somebody, it was going to be the support side stuff. That's where we mm-hmm. always saw uh, like safety issues come in. Where we're in, and heck, we've seen it recently on videos as well. It's that support side transitions where where people kind of get fumbled in their hands and the launch went off before they're ready. And so that, that kind of is, is probably right of when it started to go away a little bit, but yeah, rifles only that, I mean, that was what attracted me initially was just how fast they shot, you know, cause down there, those guys were racing all the time. You know, the James Anthony days, the John Cranston days, um, even when Terry Cross was down there, I mean, that, the, that was the thing that these guys were so fast and so smooth I mean, they were doing that, those, those uh, you know, the five plates, six plates. I think it's six at six now, but it might have been five at the beginning, but always at 600 yards. I, we had guys doing it in nine seconds. Oh, my God. 
You know, wow. yeah. Like that that was like the time to beat. You had that was your average time was around nine seconds to do it. And 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 that was a big focus down there. But then, you know, when the military started coming through, you saw the monster switch to positional. And then everything started going into the, you know, Jacob with the alternate to positions and then, the, you know, the, the sling support and all the sling stuff. And, and that's where it, it sort of kind of balances now because of just how competitions are run. And then, um, you know, where, where the industry just, you know, moved towards. How big were the targets at 600? They were those 12 inch plates. Oh, okay. All right. We used to do something like that. That we, we had tennis plates at 500 that spread across about uh, 70 yards or so. And we ran it in 20 seconds, but that that sounds like a lot more fun, actually, a little bit further away. <laughs> yeah, it it was the six at six we called it. Um, it's even still written. Like I have um, I still have a lot of the notes from when we were designing uh, courses of fire, and mm-hmm. and they're written in my book as six at six, and that was the speed drill. I wonder if I'll ever bring that stage back. Yeah, I like when he brings back the, some of the random old ones that nobody practices for anymore. Yeah, yeah, it, that that really that really is. Well, he's 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 playing the inverted now. He's he's got his little the thing. He was he had the picture today for you guys are going to be hanging upside down, um, to do that. Uh, those uh angled tables or whatever they call. I don't even know what they call those. What are the the angles though? Um, where you got to shoot those sideways. The rooftops. Yeah, but 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 he shoots there. he shoots them sideways, not over. Yeah, that'll be fun. So you're going to do the, I'm really the, glad I'm doing the train up now. Yeah. The rooftop simulator uh, that's sideways and you're going to be shooting it inverted. Man, <laughs> I did see that picture. Didn't somebody tag me a comment that you said on there. So, Oh, Billy next. Yeah. So that'll be fun. I'm every time I see a new picture, I'm like, I'm really glad I'm going to the train up. Yes. Cause that, we're happy. <laughs> that was an, that was an inside joke. Cause I asked if it was weak hand inverted and yeah. we had a guy doing kind of a masturbation joke of weak hand inverted. And the, the funny thing was we had this joke going around, going around. And so the guy, the first time he ever came to rifles only, and this was like 2003, when Lisa came up to introduce herself to him, she took her left hand and put her thumb down to shake his hand, and he didn't <laughs> catch it. So Lisa did left hand inverted on him, and, and oh my god! And we all just started dying. It, it, it was hysterical. So when I saw the inverted, I wrote down there, "But is it weak hand inverted?" And that's when Billy Nix came in to kind of say something. So that's the inside joke of, of, of Lisa shaking his guy's hand with her left hand upside down. <laughs> so um, now competition, since you're going to be starting your season, besides dry firing, which you said you do a ton of dry fire, uh, what's usually like your training routine? Do you have a set routine when you do go to the range to go live to prep for a match? Or do you basically just work on those positions at home and then take that from there? Or do you go out and validate something prior to going down to Texas? Um, I, I usually try to get out to the range to validate stuff. Um, we were, we were just joking about this around the house, actually, not too long ago. We have this place that's like a cattle ranch that we shoot out and get T-posts all over and go through target shots. If we don't go out there with an actual written plan of what we're going to do, what ends up happening is we the whole way out there, we're talking about how we're going to shoot off of this prop and we're going to put this prop here and shoot it at this distance, this tiny target. 
And then what actually happens is we end up shooting prone the whole time and basically getting nothing accomplished other than, well, the window here is really switchy. So um, now I actually write everything down on what I want to do. I was initially sent up for the Armageddon gear cut. And before that, I was working on speed since everything there was real speed based. We get a cattle gate out at that ranch. And so everything for me was running up and down the cattle gate, one shot on a five inch plate at 400 yards to see if I could clean it. And I could get to where I could clean it. I could only clean it with an eight, not a 10. And my goal was a 10 in 90 seconds. Um, but knowing that I'm going to rifles only and him with the mag transitions, I've been practicing that with dropping the mag and then moving the rifle and bag, trying to get that smooth to kind of smooth out the edges on it so it's not quite so janky, so I don't waste so much time trying to move all my gear around. Um, I also don't use a whole lot of gear, though, so having five bags in a tripod is uh, overkill for me. I'd rather just do it with one bag or no bag and make that easier for dropping a magazine, put the magazine back in. Um, so, that I mean, that's really what I've been focusing on lately is mag transitions. I don't get yelled at for not knowing where my mag well is. Yes. And and yeah. uh, what do you now? I think that's kind of a, a lost art because I don't see it at other mm-hmm. matches, but I know Jacob still does it. And that came from the obstacle course that used to be in the North Pasture because we had that covert obstacle course. Safety was a big concern. So it was it was like you had to take your mag out to move across those culverts. And what we found were people struggled so much with putting the mags in and out. Now that's the routine safety procedure. Even if you're running a barricade, he makes you take the mag out between transitions. And and what's your kind of thoughts on that? Uh, Well, I mean, you don't see it in any other match, but I like it. Um, For mainly for the dexterity practice, we don't practice that stuff. Having a mag malfunction or needing to drop a mag and put another one in, we all fumble with it. Um, I went out for private training a couple of years ago and I was kept looking down at my mag well before I put the mag in and Jacob stopped me and said, has that moved? Did, did the mag well move on your rifle? And I said, no. He said, do you look at your mag well when you load your pistol? And I said, no. He said, then why do you keep looking on your rifle? If you shoot that more than you shoot your pistol, you should know where it's at and be able to insert that mag and drop the mag without looking there. And I realized that I didn't do that at all. I looked every single time. So it was more insight on practicing with my gear. It's just another piece of gear that nobody practices with, really. I mean, unless you know you're going to go someplace where they make you do that. But we don't normally practice that when you're doing dry fire. So at least I don't know anybody who does. Um, K&M makes you load once you get in your first position. And that screws people up. I watch a lot of fumbled mag loads there, too. So... It, it makes sense to me at rifles only, especially with the rat trap and the mouse trap. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see that culvert run being the same way. I've only done that that, that culvert run once, but the mouse trap and the rat trap—I don't want anybody running through there with a mag. <laughs> no, no, you're right for that. And 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 you know, and and the other thing you know that kind of ties it all in is they let people do the twelve round magazines. Where back in the day, we always did. You know, at least like if there was a a bigger stage, like say 10 rounds kind of thing, there was always a mag change in there. You know, you had to change a mag at some point in there. And that was another thing, you know, sort of the tack reload, whatever you want to call it. But um, it, it, yeah, now they'll just put a bigger mag in. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think Jake could be thrown that by making 15 and 20 round stages. Yes, now he does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which that's what, that's what killed me when my bipod went flying off last year on the helicopter. Uh, you know, I, I, I was actually having a really good run on that helicopter and then my bipod kept falling off and I was on the, on the, the 550 cord. My bipod goes flying off after shot seven, shot eight, <laughs> my bipod's gone. And now I'm like, it went out of the helicopter too. It didn't just fall on the floor. It, it bounced yeah. out to the front of the firing line. And then the next stage was 10 rounds from that, from the deck of the helicopter. And there was like, no oh. way it was like, ah, I'm done. So yeah, I, I had yeah, I had a, it automatically harder. <laughs> yeah, I had I had I had a, I had gear issues going on, but it was it was it was a throwaway for me anyway. But um, so well, well, that's cool. I mean, and that's the little stuff I think on training that um people don't quite get that you know you're doing five inch plates at four hundred yards, so that's like half the size of what's spec because don't they spec like a ten inch plate? So do you find yourself yeah. when they if they say they're going to shoot a twelve inch plate, are you practicing on a six? Um, yeah, I, I try to practice on the smallest, smallest pieces till I can find. And if I go to a range like K&M and they do their Friday train-ups, or I guess there are a couple other ranges that do the same thing, um, I don't shoot a lot of ammo there on those train-up days. I'll verify dope because everybody does that, and I'll check my zero. Um, and then I'm not surprised, really, that nothing changes on my 1,200-yard dope is the same at in Tennessee as it is in Arizona, but for some reason i got to check it. Um, I'll try it on a, I'll try live fire on like a couple of KYL racks or something, but mostly what I do is practice drive firing on the smallest target I can find at the furthest distance I can find. Okay. And maybe I'll shoot one or two. I'll go hot for a couple of rounds, but not many just to see if there's something weird with the wind. But I figure if it's a smaller target and I can stay stable on it on an unstable position, then I'll be pleasantly surprised when they give me a car size target to shoot at, which if you practice a, a barricade on a five inch circle at 400 yards, then you go to a, a match in the Pura skill stage or whatever, the one that they only ever use, the barricade, that 10 inch plate looks gigantic. Nice. So it's almost like you can't miss because it's so big because you practice on something so little. Okay. And, and, and now with match prep, I get to make fun of you because you're a last minute reloader, aren't you? Oh, I totally am. Yeah. I started my own little hashtag, uh, fresh ammo is the best ammo. And people actually think I'm serious about that. I'm like, no, I'm just a horrible procrastinator. I'll wait till the last minute for everything. So it's like, oh, it's Thursday. I get to leave on Saturday. I guess I should probably start prepping brass. Cause it used to be fun. I remember when I first started reloading that brass prep was like meditation, almost like yoga. I thought it was so awesome. And now if I could find a neighborhood kid to teach how to do it and pay him five cents a piece, I would do it. Nice. So, and, and, now. and now do you, do you find that you, you kind of need the hand loads to stay up in that sort of top quarter of, of the competition versus like, you know, grabbing, I'm, I'm sure prime would throw you as much ammo as you wanted, uh, you know, or someone like that, a Hornaday, a prime or whatever. But do you find that you need sort of to that consistency in your loads or is it is it a dollar thing? Is it is is there what's sort of the mindset behind the the, the hand loads in competition for you? It's a dollar thing. Well, and I shot six XC for so long, and nobody makes that commercially, so I I couldn't find anything unless I I guess Tub does, but yeah, um, um, Norma does too, prices. but it's expensive. 
Yeah, and I couldn't afford that. So uh, hand loading was really the only option I had. Prime's supposed to be coming out with 6GT, and I just switched over to that um, after eavesdropping on the podcast you did with George at the Brawl last year. He changed my mind on not wanting to try a new untested caliber. That one sounded really interesting, so I was just waiting for the brass to come out. Bought a whole bunch of Hornady brass, so I'm loading for that now. But the first company that starts making commercially available GT and actually has it on the market, I want to try out because um, if I can get the same accuracy with factory stuff where I don't have to load, that means I can do more shooting. Yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm actually I was just on the phone with Tom Manners today because they're sending me um through Tom with his new stock the the uh, tune stock the one with the weights. Mm-hmm. He's got mm-hmm. one of George's production six GTs in it. And I'm gonna actually go to the six GT. I was I always thought this the six by forty seven, not six five forty seven, but six by forty seven was the best way to go. But nobody made that. You had to do it yourself. So I'm that's out for me. But now that the GT's coming, and I know what Prime's gonna be doing, I'm gonna be jumping into the GT myself. Um, you know, just because I do think it's going to be the like the winning six millimeter caliber. Um, just because I know that, uh, you know, by 47 Lapua, when you, when you necked it down, it was really good as well. And I think that was what Wade Stuteville shot, um, for a lot of years, um, was the six by 47, but I always thought that was the right way to go with the six millimeter because, uh, you know, six Creedmoor was coming, but not quite there yet. And, and so most guys were kind of still hand loaded like you with the six XC Nobody wanted mm-hmm. to shoot the Norma, too expensive, and, and they were reloading for 6XC, which is another good, you know, 6 millimeter. But, uh, you know, seeing the problems with the, the BRs and the dashers that people have, um, you know, I was never going to do that. But the GT is definitely a direction I plan on going myself. Well, I knew I was going to go away from 6XC this year. I just hadn't decided what I wanted to do. And I toyed with the idea of the BR. Um, George piqued my interest in February about the GT. And I bought dies for a BR. And then um, then Hornady released the brass. And Alpha got on board to do GT brass as well. So I bought a gunsmith, a reamer, and went out there with three barrels and had him spin them up for me then. So I've only been playing with it for a couple of months. But I think the, the one barrel that I've used so far, I've already got 800 rounds on. And I, I'm really impressed with cartridge. I, as far as SDs go, I haven't had anything over five. Nice. And that's including like not knowing what I'm having to relearn how to reload really because my six XC didn't matter. Every load I started with the every barrel I started with the same load, and it almost always shot. I maybe have to tweak seating depth a little bit, but the charge was always the same. The bullets were the same, so I never had any problems with that. So it was like relearning how to do everything with the GT, but. I had some amazing groups, like a five-shot group at a thousand with 115 RDF that was 0.19 um, MOA. So I was impressed with that. Um, groups at 100, I've because of, again I'm relearning how to do everything. Um, I had all a whole bunch of input from some of the guys I shoot with and like guys like Keith Baker and Matt Levine. They were telling me how to pick the right charge so charge weight seating depth all of the math stuff that i'm not good at so um, that was some good insight to have too to try to pick the right one and if prime can duplicate something like that then yeah i'll shoot that all day every day 
Nice. And that was going to be my question, but I guess she answered, are you still a one fit? What bullet you use is it going to be the one fifteen um, RDF or are you going to some other bullet? Um, just in the hand and prime's going to probably play around, but to figure out what they're going to do, but what's your preferred six millimeter bullet. Right now I'm going back and forth between the one Oh five RDF and the one fifteen RDF. I haven't seen any, any accuracy difference between the two with the same charge weight. It's about 60 feet per second different, but that's it. They're both super accurate. So um, I, I know I'd heard that the 105 RDS, there were some problems with the first run a year or two ago, but that seems to be fixed. I like the BC on the 115s and the fact that I can still get them going about 2,900 um, makes me makes my heart happy. I'm, I don't know why I decided I need to have speed. I don't. Um, I just need it to be accurate. So because I was shooting 115s in the XE yet. 3,000 or so, a little over that. So this is slowing down for me. But the dope's the same. I, I mean, all of my data is almost identical to what my XC was. Thankfully, that'll make that really intuitive for me for wind calls. But nice. Um, I like I like everything about this cartridge so far. Yeah, with me jumping into it new, I I was talking from Shot Show. Um, I sat down with uh, Lapua Burger. And I'm probably going to, uh, if I do it, I'm going to go with the um, 109, the new one, the long range target hybrids they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to. Pro- good stuff about this too. Yeah, yeah. Emil was uh, was really great in sitting me down with it and, t- and, and going through it. So I, I kind of think that's, that's a direction I'll go. But I don't know what Prime is going to settle on bullet wise yet. But so whatever they end up with, I'll end up, you know, being happy with. I, I'm not worried about it. Uh, as far as that goes, because I mean, it's not that I'm going to be match shooting a lot because my training schedules just won't let me, um, you know, but it's just something that we do want to keep on top of. So when I do bounce into these situations, I can I can adapt. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard lots of good stuff about those 109s um, and not as expensive as the Hornady A-tips. So that that's a bonus. Right, right. So um last little piece on the on the match side with the match prep. Do you have any um sort of rituals or anything when you show up down at a match and, and not so much the train up side of things. It it does sound like if a train up's available, you're gonna take advantage of it. Um it, Yeah. I think I think you're crazy not to if the especially the match director lets you have access to the whole range to go play on stuff the day before. Um you work out all your little bugs so that you're not having bugs while you're shooting on the first day. <laughs> right, right. Um, but do you have any like once you're there and and it's kind of like match morning or a night before? Do you have any kind of rituals or anything that that uh, that you follow, or are you just kind of like going where wherever the crowd's going, and then when you're there, you just you know hopefully y- you you get that first stage jitters out and you're good to go. Uh, I used to have a whole bunch. I don't have so many anymore. I'm trying to rule out all of my weird superstitions. <laughs> like, like I used to wear the same shirt to, to matches every time we long ago when I first started, cause I thought it was a lucky shirt. Um, I'm not, I'm not quite that married to my superstitions anymore. I know before I shoot, I want to look at the stage and see if I can come up with a good plan and then not listen to anybody else on my squad and their plans. Cause nine times out of 10, you try something that somebody else, thinks it's going to be great. You'll screw it up. Even if they like clean the stage doing something that you told them wouldn't do, it's never a good idea to switch in the middle and change your mind on how you're going to do something. Yeah. Based on the other guy, I, I, I find that as well, that you don't want to get swayed 
Um, and the only time uh, recently I've I've done anything based on the other guy is 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 was down in Texas. I actually switched bipods with Surge because I used the SkyPod on that roof simulator sideways. It was it was mm-hmm. a little bit easier to use a SkyPod versus my Atlas, which kept falling off. But that was a, a not an Atlas issue. That was a, a spec rail which we fixed issue. But um, I went to the SkyPod. That was the only time I sort of switched midstream. Um, but that was a gear switch more than, uh, uh, you know, how I'm going to address the stage switch. Yeah. I, th- I think that's got to be like a big issue for everybody, like watching somebody else shoot. You see somebody clean a stage and like, man, I was going to go this route, but now I just watch them do it that way. Should I try it that way? And people start second guessing themselves right before the shoot without taking into account that the guy that just cleaned it doing something you never would have done probably has practiced that about 20 times before he ever got to the range um, at his home range or something. And you haven't. So of course you're going to fumble it because it doesn't, it's not going to go well. It's just trying something new. Yeah. Yeah, but. for sure. Cool. And um, now let's get, cause we're getting kind of into that. Um, Let's go into the, a lot of the outreach that you do. You do a lot of stuff, bringing in new women shooters, a lot of junior shooter outreach. And, and I know you're big into, Kind of like you guys have little groups and stuff that that you work on to to help uh, mentor new shooters coming into the sport. So that's a big part of what you're doing behind the scenes. Yeah, um, we have our our semi private, supposed to be sort of secret ladies group, <laughs> precision rifle ladies. Um, I've had a couple guys lately asking to join. I they got turned down. Um, it's just women who shoot precision rifle or are interested in precision rifles. So the ones that come over from three gun and pistol, all of the pro females across both leagues are in there. And I've got people that help run both of the series in there as well. Um, females that work for different sponsors, different companies. So it's pretty open to any questions. We've had all kinds of weird stuff. Like how do you shoot a rooftop all the way down to what kind of underwear do you wear at a hot match? Um, so nothing's off topic, but it also keeps the, the information more on point. We're not having some guy with the, Hey, little lady thing where they end up talking down to a female who's asking a legitimate question. So I think the information ends up being a, a little bit more direct and correct for the environment. Um, as far as juniors go, I've, I love seeing them at the range. I wasn't going to shoot the program last year and Janae Frainer sent me a video of Allison Zane shooting at the NRL 22 championships last May. And I changed my mind after I watched that video because that, that girl is good. She's going to be taking trophies from everyone soon. Um, she's already finishes routinely in the top five in Pennsylvania and her home clubs. So it's, she's going to hurt a lot of feelings and she's only like 14. Nice. So, um, the video she sent me, she was shooting a positional stage and I watched her standing and went, all right. And then she went kneeling and she paused and then she corrected her position. Her MPA was off. And there are grown people that don't know to do that. And she didn't muscle the gun at all. She just changed her position. And I thought that's brilliant. That's the kind of kid I want to teach. Yeah. I want somebody who actually wins. So, um, so I talked to her about shooting the program and then she finished pretty good in a couple of her local matches. So she got bumped up to pro and he said, well, you can shoot as an amateur 
There seemed to be points for it. So um, it basically would have been for nothing. She couldn't walk the party table. She couldn't do any of that stuff. So she said, well, can I shoot for pro points then? Just shoot as a pro and have Regina as a coach. But, you know, she just won't coach me on the clock. So she did that and did really well. So she beat me on a few stages at the Pro-Am. Nice. So, I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's just so awesome to see the kids. I mean, one of the first juniors I shot with was like Mary Beth Olson. And then I remember what you and I um at, down at well, core at the time and you had a junior with you. And, and but she mm-hmm. was like my height and we kind of worked on one of the little props because their stuff was so tall. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's a great way to see them get enthused and excited and they take direction so well. And like you said, they're, they're very meticulous uh, on, yeah. on what they're doing like that, that, you know, they're nudge their foot to fix their NPA, which half the guys are throwing their fundamentals out the window when they're on the clock. And, and here you have a 14 year old that, that stopped and said, Nope, wait a minute over, you know, that, that's, yeah. that's really good. A true true story with Allison. We shot the long range, and I went first. So, um, so I'm shooting, and I'm telling her what my win calls are. I think I I got I went one for one for everyone, or one for three on everyone the target. I wasn't having a very good day at the long range. So, I, but I gave her all my win calls, and then she shoots, and she got I think she dropped two shots, and so I was feeling all good about myself. I'm like, man, look at that! I can call wind. I just can't apply it. And I asked her, well, did you use my wind call? She goes. Oh no! Not after I watched you shoot. I used what I used yesterday. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Thanks for making me feel good. That's awesome. But, but she was slick enough to know, like, hey, you know, th- that's not quite working, and that doesn't. I was using this, and this was doing really well for me, and the conditions mm-hmm. seemed the same. And, and like you said, if you if if like the long range win, and you probably told her you struggle a little bit with her. And she was like, okay, cool. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try my one from yesterday. And when it probably worked for her, you know, if it didn't work, she probably would have tried yours the second shot, but it obviously worked right. for her and she just ran with it. Yep. Yeah. We both hit the 1200 yard target. That was like a, I don't know, something small, either 10 or 12 inches or whatever. But she hit it. No problem. She's and she got off the line. Like, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> It was awesome. Yeah, that's what, the the last time I shot the uh, the, the pro am. Uh, I I met a couple uh, little kids, and one of them I told him it, it, he was in another squad, but he, somebody he wanted to meet me or something like that. And and I and I said to him, I said, dude, the, the trick of the, and it was the day before the match. It was during the workup, and um, when you get to kind of practice with your amateur. I said, mm-hmm. no matter what, when anybody asks you what you did, you tell them you you you, you almost cleaned it, or you oh I just dropped one or two. I said, even if you're lying, I said just tell them you cleaned it or you dropped one or two, <laughs> and and the kid was actually doing it, and it, and and like guys were 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 start it was starting to break people's brain, you know, because they would see this little kid, and and he's like, hey, how'd you do on that stage? And he's like, oh, I, I you know I nailed it, and and. The, the guy's like, whoa, I only got like three hits. And he's like, oh, no, I got seven, you know. <laughs> Meanwhile, he got four. You know, and, and, yeah. and, and, of course, he was, he was playing the mind games at like 12, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, fun. Well, there's something to that 90 to 95% mental in the sport anyway. One of you guys told me stories about Jacob messing with people when he was shooting matches where you'd be cleaning everything, and then he'd say, okay, well, watch me. I'm going to drop this shot on purpose. 
and then nobody would clean the stage after that. Yes, it, it, it was a yeah. mover balloon stage. Um, we we all shot the matches together. It might have been a twenty four hour one because we would shoot like the twenty four hour ones where you you started like ten in the morning and then you ended like ten the next morning and we shot all night. And um, Jacob had a hostage balloon mover stage, and he was like shooter number eight or something. And everybody before it was hitting the green balloon, hitting the green balloon. And he came up to me and he goes, watch this, dude. He goes, I'm going to hit the red balloon on purpose and see what happens after. <laughs> and he totally did that. And he sh- and he missed. And, and it, it was like the next 10 people after him all did the same thing until like <laughs> maybe it might have been like a Terry Cross or somebody who was a, a higher end guy then hit the green one again and broke that cycle. But he totally did that. I mean, he... When, when he did compete, people kind of don't give him the credit because he was doing it before. When he did compete, he was unbeatable, and not by a little bit, by a lot. And, and you know, then again, you know, people, it, it, the, the competition wasn't like it is today. But at the same time, the guy was still just, like, smoking everybody when we went somewhere. And and, and that was um, – but that, that definitely happened, that the mind games – you know who did it the worst to somebody? George Gardner and Shannon Kay to David Tubb. They, um, Tubb was winning on the first day because this was during the time when you had 100-point stages. And, mm-hmm. and so every stage was 100 points, you know? And um, Tubb was just, on the first day, had like, you know, 600-point lead. Well, Shannon and George started like hovering around him and talking like some stuff behind his back, but loud enough. And he started taking risks and missing. And, oh, it, and it ended up Terry Cross beat him, mainly beat him because of Terry's handgun stage. And then a couple mover, because at the time David's ankle or knees weren't doing as well. And he was wearing those special funky shoes. And so the movement wasn't that, that great for him. Um, but, Terry ended up beating David Tubb at the Sniper's Hide match because George and Shannon messed with him the entire... When he was winning, and, and like, Shannon's the master at that. Shannon will get in people's heads. I remember the first time I ever shot with Shannon, it was, you know, we were all shooting the same caliber. It was an ASC match, um, and so it was uh, the West Virginia, and it was like, you know... George was in first, Shannon was in second, Jeff Badley in third, and then like me in fourth. And, um, you know, but we all had like the same caliber. And and Shannon just like the first time I ever met him, and he, he like turned to me, he's like, hey, dude. And he's like, um, why are you shooting so bad? <laughs> and it's like, what do you mean? And next thing you know, you know, you're like starting to worry. You know, well, what do you mean I'm shooting bad? I'm in fourth behind all you guys. And I think I'm doing good. And you start questioning yourself. Well, I'm going to keep that in mind because I've got some match coming up where Shannon jumped on the same squad with me. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I'm going to turn my ear pro off around him. Totally. I would. I mean, because he was good at it. And George, like I said, George and Shannon just started a mental freaking mind game on David, and it worked. David took risks, and like um, Jacob was doing the long KYLs in the wind where, where you know, instead of shooting a KYL at the one range, you shoot – out to like a thousand, you know, so you're doing the, the six, seven, eight, nine, and a thousand and doing mm-hmm. the bets that way. And David risked it and lost it, you know, but he, he didn't have to because he had such a commanding lead. And, 
it, it just he he thought he needed the points. Uh, poor life choices. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, um, if we, we're getting down onto the hour here. So, is there any? I know you did some work with the uh, the A10 stock. I love the A10 stock for for someone my size. Uh, I think that feels great. Uh, it, it's fantastic. Matter of fact, the rifle's sitting right here, all ready to roll. Um, you know, been put together and shooting it a bunch. But um, is there is there any other kind of groups or peoples or sponsors you're working with, developing products and 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 kind of gearing things towards? Uh, you know, whether it be either female or junior or something like that? Well, I went on a little, like, tear for a while, um, hitting up stock manufacturers to move grips forward. Before, I didn't have any of the marble finishes, like my melon house. Everything had to be painted because I built out the grip on all of my stocks to get my finger closer to the trigger after realizing how important that 90 degree is. Um, I, I can't reach it on a traditional stock. So the A10... That was the my large amount of input had to do with moving the grip forward to get your hand in there. Um, so I guess they've translated that over to the Z10 as well, and the Z1 to some extent also has that more forward grip. Foundations got a stock that is the same way that is a little bit closer. They're Revelation stocks that I believe is one of their hunting stocks, but they have another one in the pipe that is supposed to have more forward grip that's actually built for competition shooting. Um, I didn't have anything to do with either of those, with the design on those, but I was putting a, a little bug in John Kyle's ear a couple of years ago about it, um, especially with how many females are getting into the sport. Guys all want their kids to shoot with them, and it's not comfortable for them if they can't reach their trigger or if they can't get a good length of pull. So 13 and a half inches. I don't know who came up with 13 and a half inches. I heard somebody say it was shotgun shooters, but I don't know very many people that are actually a 13 and a half inch length of pull. No. Usually it's shorter than that. So, yeah, um, I don't know where I, they came up with their numbers. Sometimes, it, like I said, they 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 all run around, and it, it's it's somebody who's six foot tall who who that, and there's all oh, we'll just make it here, and they just they wing it, you know. And, yeah, and and you don't well, realize the grip on most of the grip on most of the McMillans are based on Kelly's hand, and he's got giant giant bear paws. Oh yeah, he's like so six he's two, huge. six five almost. He's big, mm-hmm. and his his hands are equally large, so. The A10 is, he said, super uncomfortable for him. It's too short. But for the rest of us, I mean, Rob Latham and I were playing with it, and both of us used about the same size hand, so it was comfortable for both of us because we can get on the trigger. Um, so anyway, if people made stuff that fit more people more universally, I would be a lot happier. I think MDT and XLR have, are both going that route with their chassis, trying to get grips more forward to the trigger, um, it still makes a pull to be able to go down. Janae told me that her XLR, she's getting down to 11 inches for her length of pull, which is appropriate for any, for pretty much any woman who's five, two and under. Um, so they, I mean, you can't shoot comfortably if she can't get behind the gun right. No, it kicks it's you off to the side. Impossible. Yeah. And it's physically impossible for some of these women and juniors to be able to get behind their gun. Manners says that I think the same one that has the weights in it is also adjustable as far as the length of pull goes. So that'll help get people behind guns properly too. I, and that was so. the, I had asked Tom Manners about that for years and kind of to bring it closer to the rear of the trigger guard and to, and to be right up against there and, and to let people kind of, and then the trigger shoes are adjustable so people can move that as well. But I agree, man, that, 
they don't put enough focus in that hand position location. And the first one that I think really nailed it for everybody, believe it or not, is that Magpul Pro that they sort of mm-hmm. made that hollowed out one that you can move almost all the way forward or all the way back. And and to me, that's sort of like, yes, but I mean, I understand the skin side of it where people don't want the two halves, but I mean, why not? AIs have been skins forever and nobody complained about the AIs. I mean, it's one of the reasons I, I always gravitated to AIs because those are a little closer and the thumb holes were smaller. That that thumb hole has got a tiny grip on it and, and it fit me really well and it allowed me, allowed me to get to the trigger. But the, 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 you know, the fiberglass stocks were always way too big for my hand to be comfortable. I had to choke up in sort of an unnatural way. Yes, me too, on all of them. Um, the first one that I found that was that fit my hand properly, that was pretty comfortable, um, was a Cam W. So, and that's, I didn't listen to Vu for like five years. He kept telling me, I need to try a Cam W, and I refused to do it. I was like, no, I'm going to shoot this stuff. I'm going to make it work. I got a Cam W and went, this is actually pretty comfortable. I like where the grip is on this. So, I, trial and error, that's another big thing. I, uh, we all go for whatever we can afford rather than what's actually going to fit us the best. There needs to be something in the middle where you can do both. Um, I know the Pro 700 was one of the first chassis that I actually sought out at the SHOT Show when they first introduced that because you could switch it from left-handed and right-handed pretty easily. So it's more ambi, mm-hmm. which makes that a lot more affordable for parents with wrong-handed children in their household. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yep. You go to the Jacob, right? Where we used to tell you we used to kill you guys in the Middle Ages. Yeah, they drown yep. you, drown yeah, you as witches. That. I've heard that a bunch. Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. drown you as a witch. But <laughs> so, all right, cool. Now, only match directors would uh, design some stages for lefties. That would be fun. That would be a nice challenge for match directors. Design a whole match that's lefty friendly that screws the righties. <laughs> Right. I mean, be challenging. I don't think it'll ever happen. <laughs> no. That'd be no. fun. Cool. Well, hey, I, that's the only topics I had for you. Do you have anything else you wanted to plug? Anything you needed to talk about, um, you know, for your sponsors or anything like that? No. I'm, I, hopefully everybody knows who I shoot for. Um, if not, I get a Facebook page where I promote them as much as I can. Same with uh, Instagram. I'm on both of those platforms. I answer all those questions myself. I'm not popular enough to hire somebody to do that. So I get a lot of good questions on there and PMs and DMs and stuff. Same on Cyberside. I'm on Cyberside also. Yep. Yep. So, Left hand Gina. Yep. So I'm selling some, some stuff on there. So people can go on, on Cyberside and find some stuff for me. <laughs> I think, yeah, you know, not, not to be silly, but at SHOT Show, the, um, Jennifer Seymour kind of like did a little mini interview with me, but I really had nothing to say at the time. And at the end of it, she's like, oh, okay. And you guys can go on Sniper's Hide and everything. I said, yeah, you know, if you're going the PX, the Jake Vibbert's last winnings are up there right now. <laughs> and she about died <laughs> laughing. And she's like, what? And I'm like, and, and it never, they never posted it. <laughs> oh, she sent me the clip on that. I thought that was hilarious. Oh, did you get this? Yeah, I'm in a group chat with her, and so she sent me that right away. She's like, Frank killed me. This is hilarious. Yeah, I don't think— it's also accurate. (laughs) It really is. It's just like I'm kind of ballsy enough to say it out loud. And (laughs) Cool. That's a a fun, like, Monday morning coffee game. 
go on the PX and look to see, look through all the stuff that's for sale, the postings for stuff that's for sale. Yes. Try to play the match game with who wanted that match. Um, if you don't know what their screen name is, you can almost always figure it out. Nice. Looking through that. Cool. Well, I'm going to sign this off. Stay on the line a second and I'll, we'll let this play out, but I appreciate you coming on. It's been a long time. We'll have to do this again. Hopefully we could do it in person sometime. That'll be fun. And, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get wound up and everything and, and we'll just go and, 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 and have a blast with it. So, all righty. Well, thanks you guys for listening to the Everyday Sniper. Don't forget to comment. Go on the Podbean app. You can go on the Sniper's Hide forum. Go check out the PX. Uh, buy whatever Regina's selling. And, <laughs> and, and uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs>